partner here at Mercy View. Um, tonight I'll be reading from Romans 12, 14, and then also verses 16 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. My wife and I uh, are in the middle of watching a documentary um, that you, you may have seen. It's on Netflix, and I don't exactly remember the name of the documentary, but it's a, it's a multi-part series on 9-11. And in some ways, it's a story of what led up to that uh, fateful day. Um, and uh, it's, it's a very uh, challenging watch, uh, for sure. Um, one of the things for me that um, I'm reminded of as I watch it was my own experience of that day um, many years ago. And um, there's one feeling, though, that I've had as we've watched uh, this documentary that I don't remember feeling uh, before. I think I probably felt uh, certain aspects of this, but uh, this is the feeling. I have been thinking to myself, I, I want justice to be done. Now, I, I think I felt it the day of, and probably many days after that, but it's been so long ago, that feeling is kind of a past, but watching this documentary again, I'm reminded of, of just the hurt and the harm and injury and death that came upon so many people. But here is the second thought that I've had this week. I, in my own, like, abilities have no way to bring about the kind of justice that needs to take place there. Like, I don't have that in my own strength. There's no way that I could conjure up the ability to be able to meet completely what needs to be met as it relates to the issue of justice. There was great evil done on that day. But the kind of justice that needs to meet that evil, I can't do it. Now, some of you have experienced great evil in your life. You have personally been the recipient of great evil in your life. And so, whether you're like me and, and, and you see something like 9-11, you're reminded of, of, of all the atrocities of that day and you want to see justice meted out or you have actually experienced evil in your own life personally, how do we think of the issue of evil? How do we respond to the, the issue of real persecution and suffering and tribulation and trials in our lives? What, what does that look like? How do we deal with that? Does the Bible have anything to say to us about how to face evil? We are in a series right now called Anthem of Grace. 
And we're really looking at the second half of the book of Romans where Paul is saying, everything I talked about in the first half of the book of Romans, now I want to help you see how this looks like lived out. This is what it looks like for you to sing the anthem of grace in your life. And so we've been going very slowly, actually, at the very first part of that, Romans 12, still in that tonight. And, and as you have noticed probably over these few weeks, you've heard from Pastor John and Trey uh, and myself, we're, we're seeing Paul uh, talk about a lot of different things. I mentioned a, a couple weeks ago, it's almost like it's a stream of consciousness from, from Paul. Interestingly enough, it's not an exhaustive list, but Paul is saying a lot of different kinds of things, and here's partly what he's doing. Partly it is description. He is wanting to say, here are some things that if you're a Christian, you need to, uh, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. He's describing for us what it looks like, but it's also equal parts conviction. Paul is also trying to say, hey, take this list, lay it over your life, and let's see how that's going. And I know for myself, and, and I pray for you, that as we have laid over our lives the first part of Romans 12, we have been convicted deeply. Because there is a lot of ways that we don't measure up. And tonight's passage is no exception. So, if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open to Romans chapter 12, meaning there in verse uh, 14. As you look there, I just want to invite you tonight to see one thing, and it's this. We overcome evil with supernatural grace and wisdom. We overcome evil with supernatural grace and supernatural wisdom. Now, Paul, tonight is uh, bringing us into uh, a new sort of paradigm or, or context as he talks about uh, the way that you and I should be thinking and living. In the, in the previous weeks, in fact, the very first week that, that John taught, uh, the very first verse, verse 9 of, of, our, of this passage, Paul is really just talking about what's happening inside of us, talking about our heart posture. But then very quickly into verse 10 and in the last few weeks, he's been moving towards the ways that you and I are to interact in the local church. Today, he starts to expand that circle even more. He doesn't totally uh, disconnect from the local church. A lot of what we have to talk about today works itself out in this local church community. But he's also going to start talking about what it looks like for you and I in the places where we live, where we work, and where we play to love our enemies to bless our enemies. So in the places that you and I interact with, maybe those who don't know Jesus, those who maybe even reject Jesus, reject our faith, how do we interact with them? In fact, one of the ways that you could think about tonight's passage is like a Venn diagram. You have the circle of the church and the circle of the world and where they overlap in the middle, the Venn diagram, is where... Paul wants to speak to us tonight. So as we look at these things tonight, you need to have both of those circles in mind, both the church, the way that you act and interact here, and also the way that you might interact with those in, in culture. So Paul is, uh, is starting to, to help us tonight think about how you and I deal with real difficulty in our lives. 
In fact, he uses very strong language tonight to say, this is how you deal with persecution. This is how you deal with evil. Uh, and, and, and it's going to be, I think, really helpful for us. So first Paul says in verse 14, look there, that you will come up against persecution. This is not a, uh, you might uh, come up against it, but rather when you, you do, uh, you need to recognize it for that. Now, I do think Paul primarily has in view our relationship outside of the church here. But we can't neglect again to think about this even within the church. There are experiences of evil that can happen in a church, for sure. But I think primarily what Paul has in mind is what happens outside. The church, um, as we interact with culture from time to time, we're going to experience persecution. But we need to define what persecution is. Uh, there's a, a great underground network serving <clears throat> persecuted Christians around the world excuse me, called open doors. And this is how they define persecution. Christian persecution is any hostility experienced from the world as a result of one's identification as a Christian. From verbal harassment to hostile feelings, attitudes and actions, Christians in areas with severe religious restrictions pay a heavy price for their faith. So on the one hand, any antagonism, or anger, opposite, uh, or opposition from the world that you may experience is some form of persecution. But we should be careful to not categorize everything that feels like that towards us as persecution. Open Doors goes on to say it this way, beatings, physical torture, confinement, isolation, severe punishment, imprisonment, slavery, discrimination, and even death are just a few examples of the persecution that global Christians experience on a daily basis. In other words, when we think about the issue of persecution, there is a scale. What some of you experience as opposition to your faith is not the same kind of persecution that other Christians in the world are experiencing. That being said, Paul is talking to Christians here in verse 14. And he doesn't say if you are persecuted, but when you are persecuted, here is how you should respond. So I actually think in one sense, Paul is talking to those who are in real time already being truly persecuted, right? The Bible is not just an American document. This Bible that we have is read all over the world. It was meant to fit into all cultures that came after it. So there are people in the world right now who are being persecuted for their faith. Paul is speaking to them in this passage. But because the Bible is a book that's written to fit into all cultures, regardless of when it was read. I also think that Paul is, has in mind here that these verses about persecution and evil are meant to say to us, there may come a time in the future where you will face real and maybe severe persecution. Though you may not be experiencing it now, you could. And when you do experience that persecution, here is what you do. So what does Paul say should be our response in the face of evil, in the face of persecution? He says something very, very confusing. <laughs> he says something that actually sounds counterintuitive. 
I think the reason why it sounds counterintuitive and maybe even confusing is because the, the default of our human hearts. Because what does he say? He says, bless those who persecute you. Do not repay evil with evil. Do not overcome evil with evil. Do not, uh, don't pay someone back. Don't, don't take revenge on someone else with your own vengeance. Now, I was just, I mean, as I was reading this this week, preparing for this tonight, I just kept thinking to myself, I can't get around this. Like, Paul is using some very strong language that it goes against the grain of my heart. So what does Paul mean by this? To bless those who persecute us, to not repay evil with evil. What does this all mean? What does it mean to do that? Like some of you are already asking this question. Does that mean that I am just supposed to stay quiet, Brad? Does that mean that, that I need to let people take advantage of me? Does it mean that I just endure the hostility and the criticism that may be coming my way? What could Paul possibly mean here? See, I just said this, but the default of, of my heart and the default of your heart is that when you are persecuted, you naturally want to retaliate. Like when people wrong you, when people hurt you, your natural reaction, it's involuntary too. It's, it's to get back at the person who's done that to you. But this is what I mean by we can't get around what Paul is saying here tonight. Paul is laying down a principle that flies in the face of that. What is the principle? Well, at, at this point, by the way, Christianity diverges from every religion. Like every ethical system in the world, and I think the principle is found in verse 21, and it's this, overcome evil with good. Now the word overcome here that Paul is using is a military word. It means to overpower or to defeat. And here's what Paul is saying, and it's what I want you to see tonight. We overcome evil with supernatural grace and wisdom. We overcome evil with supernatural grace and supernatural wisdom. So let's break that down. Let, let's talk about the supernatural part. If we need supernatural grace and wisdom, how do we get it? Well, we just said that the default of our heart is that we want to seek revenge when evil is done against us, right? Whether it's in the church or outside of the church house, but Paul is saying here, if you're a Christian, you must, you must preach this to your heart. You must have others preach this to your heart, that when you are being persecuted, when you're experiencing evil done against you, you must remind yourself that you are getting to share in what Paul calls fellowship with the Lord. Even Paul says that the things that he lost in this life when he became a Christian was rubbish so that he might share in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. We as a church, Big C Church, Mercy View, 
have a very underdeveloped theology of suffering. When you and I experience evil and and persecution, we don't tap into the supernatural strength that comes from knowing we're sharing in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. We want to get back. That's not supernatural. That's just natural. But as we suffer, if we suffer in this way or the way that Paul says we should, we actually share in the suffering which gives patience, it gives determination, it gives endurance in the face of evil, whatever that evil may be. It's actually an amazing gift, an opportunity for us if we'll take hold of it. But notice what I said. I said we overcome with supernatural grace. And here's what I want you to hear. This doesn't mean this. If someone harms you or hurts you, you just hurt them back. Right? I mean, obviously, that isn't supernatural grace towards someone doesn't mean that, right? If someone insults you, you insult them back. That is not what this means. I actually think that's why Paul says in verse 19, to not avenge the harm done against you with vengeance of your own. He says to leave that to the Lord. He's saying that if you do what only God can do in the area of justice, listen, you have become part of the problem. Like if you repay evil for evil, you've been overcome by that evil. To repay evil for evil means I want to see them hurt. I want them to suffer like I have suffered. I want to bring them down. Now, there are two ways to to repay evil for evil. One is to go out there and, and actually make the painful situation right yourself. The other is to not actively do anything, but internally root against them to hope and wish for their ruin. But neither of those things creates reconciliation, peace, harmony, or unity. So what does supernatural grace in the face of evil actually look like? Well, Paul has some words for us tonight. He says, I've already said this one, but one of the things is that we bless our persecutors. In Matthew 5, Jesus actually tells us to pray for those who persecute us. So, at least we can say, Jesus wants us, Paul wants us to pray for those who've done evil against us. And here's what I think they're both getting at here, is you can't hate someone you're praying for. You can't do it. You'll find that as you begin to pray for the people that have done evil against you, your heart starts to soften. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. But, but pray for those who persecute you. Bless them. But, but another way that you and I are supernaturally gracious, and this is a really tough one. This is going to really bother you. Just, just hear me out just for a moment, all right? Is to forgive them. I have found... And I just want to say to you guys tonight, like most of the time, forgiveness is granted before it's felt. Uh, you're not going to feel like forgiving someone who's, who's done evil against you. So many times it is granted before it's felt. For some of you, 
That's really hard because you've had some very confusing things done to you. Some of you here tonight have had some heinous things done to you. And you're saying right now, Brad, you want me to forgive them? Here's what I think this means. It means to forgive someone means to refrain. And this is what that means. You refrain from playing the tapes of the wrongs done to you thinking about all the things that they did. You refrain from trying to retaliate against them, externally or or internally. And it doesn't mean that you might trust them fully again. In fact, there may be serious and needed boundaries that you might have with that person. It just means that in your own heart, you have cleared the record of wrongdoing. You grant that many times, long before you feel it, but you do grant it. There's another way that we're supernaturally gracious in the face of strife and, and, and conflict, and it's, and I want you to actually see this in verse 16. Paul says, live in harmony with one another. Now, when I read that, I tend to think of the church circle that we're talking about tonight. Um, there are for sure ways that the culture around us conducts itself in a way that we can't live in step with it. Um, it's becoming increasingly more difficult to receive or or even redeem certain aspects of of culture so that we can live in harmony with that. Um, But just for the sake of time tonight, I I want us to think about Paul's words in the context of this local church. What does it mean for us to live in harmony with one another when there is friction among us? Well, there are a lot of things that we could say, but let me just stick with with uh, this when you join this church so like here at mercy view if you're a member we we have a a term that we use uh, called partner here we love what that captures just the idea of us being connected in meaningful ways but here is what um i have said before i'm sure i have to remind my heart of this and i just gotta remind you of it again tonight but when you join any church family Every other single person in that church, even people in your own family, are not you. They are not like you. They are not wired like you. They're not gifted like you. They don't have the same personality as you. They don't have the same hopes and dreams and desires and life experiences and passions and preferences and opinions. But we come around one gospel together. And that is the thing that's supposed to unite us. You are joining an imperfect, flawed, sinful group of people of which you are one. So, I don't know why this happens. And it happens to me too. Why we're so surprised when someone thinks differently than we do in the local church. In most cases, I actually think God's intention in that is to sharpen us. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, said, Dogs and cats should always be brought up together. It broadens their minds. The great pastor preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, once said it this way. He said, when you come into a local church, you have stopped auditioning people like you do in every area of life. You don't choose your brothers, you don't choose your sisters, 
Thank God that because we're all God's children and we're on the journey together, the day will come when all of our faults and blemishes will disappear. What is the underlying source of this harmony that, that Lloyd-Jones is talking about? I think it's, it's humility. The church should be marked by people who do not think arrogantly about themselves. That's what Paul means, by the way, when he says, don't be haughty. And it should also be marked by those who know that they do not know it all. That's another big problem. If you want to ruin a small group here at Mercy View or a D group, act like you know everything. The church is meant to be characterized by people who love one another regardless of their status in life. That's, by the way, what Paul means by associating with the lowly. And care for people even if they are different from you. Now, that's supernatural grace. I do think that one of the ways that you and I overcome strife and conflict and evil, real evil, persecution even, is through supernatural wisdom as well. So to me, it's both grace and, and wisdom. And, and here's why I say that tonight. There is some confusion, I think, when Paul talks about overcoming evil with good. Some, not any of you, of course, but some uh, read that to think, man, I guess that means I'm supposed to live this quiet, unremarkable life in the face of, 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 of conflict and evil. But I want you to notice, this is a very interesting verse. It honestly is a kind of a weird verse on the surface. Verse 20, look at that with me. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Listen to this. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. What? Here's what I think Paul means. In every way that you possibly can, do what you can for another person's good. Paul is not saying that we don't tell other people the truth. You've got to define that. We're going to talk about it here in just a moment. But he is saying that we oppose others, if we need to do that, humbly and graciously. Really what Paul is doing here is creating this sort of word picture for us to say the context that you and I speak the truth is in love. We tell the truth in the context of actually caring for the other person. Even if it means that that truth that we're sharing is difficult. Now, that's what I think Paul means here when he says this. But let's be honest, the end of that verse is weird. What does he mean that the context is, is serving, loving, doing it humbly when he says it pours burning coals on their head? Now, there's a fair amount of debate about what Paul means here, but it probably means this. If you are in a city that was being overcome by the enemy and this army was, was trying to overtake your city, one of the ways that you would defend your city is you would go up to your city wall and you would pour some kind of hot liquid down on the people who are attacking. So what would happen to those people? They would stop attacking. Paul is describing a paradox here. If a person is wronging you, you do stop them. 
you oppose them. And you do stop the attack. In fact, you might even do it in a way that for them feels painful. But look at the context. There's a mixture of opposition and love. You're opposing them for their good. If a person is sinning against you, Paul is saying that you might need to oppose them. Why? Because the most unloving thing to do to someone else is to let a person keep sinning. So how do you know if you're doing that right? Well, first we must say this. Paul is not talking about you just speaking your truth regardless of what it is. He is not saying that heaping burning coals upon someone else is you just being forthright about your agenda, a a preference, or some sort of issue that's really not a gospel issue. He is saying that if you've been wronged or sinned against, you go to the person who's wrong, you think Matthew 18, and you tell them that, you know, either what you think they've done wrong or have done wrong in such a way that the person sits there and says, man, I, I don't really like what this person is saying. I don't even know if I agree with it. But it's very clear that the person cares for me. I think in that case, there is a chance that that person might actually listen. And if they truly were the offender, they might actually change. But if you go and confront and oppose them and say, I'm just speaking my truth to you and it's very clear to the person that you're confronting that you're more concerned about you than them, that typically doesn't work. Um, I've been around some folks who are very proud, very abrasive, use harsh language. They always believe they're just being forthright. And as a result, because their words aren't spoken in love, which again, the Ephesians 4.15 principle, man, we got to live by that. No one is ever truly persuaded of what they have to say, ever. Unless they're scared into it or shamed into it. But in the end, that approach is, is, is doing what Paul is saying not to do. It's repaying evil for evil. Ephesians 4.15, again, let me just say this. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Yes, we speak the truth, but we do it in in love. It means we don't ridicule, we don't mock, we don't use snark, we don't make unqualified statements, and sometimes, not always, it means we don't say anything at all. But here's the deal. We have to rightly define the truth we're speaking. Like if it's an opinion or a preference, God may want us to keep that to ourselves. In fact, Paul's category, again, let me remind you of this, is when we believe we have been sinned against. Not just some truth we feel that we should say out loud. That's what Paul calls haughty in verse 16. Remember, we're talking about overcoming evil. Evil is evil. It should be clear, not questionable, if we're attempting to overcome that thing, right? Evil. But if we have a heart of love towards someone else who has sinned against us, we can speak truth in a way that actually wills their good. Doesn't mean they will receive it. You may be sharing a very hard truth with them. And that truth may actually need to sit with them for a while. Maybe a long while. But if you've been praying... 
and you, you, you're, you're desiring to oppose them humbly, not in a retaliatory way, good can come out of that. That's what Paul is saying. You can't control their reaction, but you can control your heart. But notice that Paul says this in verse 18. And this is also a part of supernatural wisdom. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul's saying living sacrifices as much as possible, live at peace with people. Christianity is supposed to breed love and harmony and selflessness between people. Like in the midst of a culture, friends, we are in the midst of this, if there has ever been a time of, of animosity and conflicts and self-centeredness, we are called to be the kind of people who create and make peace. But Paul does give a little bit of a disclaimer here. It's an important however, he says. However, it's, or, or if possible in some, uh, I think the ESV says if possible, no matter how hard a follower of Jesus may try, sometimes horizontal harmony and peace is impossible. That's why Paul says, as far as it depends on you, sometimes peace might not be possible due to your commitment to Christ or the gospel. There are times when peace is impossible simply because the other party is filled with hatred towards you, malice towards you. And Paul is saying in those instances, the believer should do his best, do all that he can or she can to live at peace while knowing it may not work. Sometimes reconciliation and harmony are not possible no matter how hard you may try. That is not the justification for vengeance, but rather a reminder for us that we should be pursuing and, and longing for peace in our relationship. So let's end here. What's interesting to me is that, again, this actually sits in the same chapter um, where Paul begins the chapter by saying, hey, it's good and right for you all to live in view of God's mercy. And then what he's done here is he's telling us, here's how it looks to live with God's mercy in, in view. And so today he is saying that everything in our passage can only be done in view of the mercies of God. Now Paul could have said, because of the mercies of God, do this. And he does do that in other places in his writing. But notice what he said. He says, in view of God's mercies. A view is a breathtaking experience, right? A panorama. I love driving on I-70 out towards the Rockies. And when you start to see, right, the beginnings of those mountains. And the closer you get, it just gets more amazing and more amazing. Before you know it, you're immersed, you know. Especially if you're driving through the Rockies. You're immersed in this view that is breathtaking. The mercy of God is exactly like that. Paul is saying tonight, like, if you want to overcome evil with good, you have to have a panoramic, breathtaking view of God's mercy. Paul is, is trying to say to us today that if we are quick to act like judges, when we should be acting like servants, we've got it all wrong. The only thing that will change a servant from acting like a king 
is by getting a view of the amazing love of the king who became a servant. We put ourselves on the judgment seat all the time. But the Lord, who is on the judgment seat, came down. He put himself in the seat of judgment and went to the cross for us. The judge of all the earth was judged. He was punished for us. He took the punishment that we deserve for all the ways that you and I harm each other in the name of justice. What you need to be able to do what Paul is talking about here tonight is to see that servant. See, the gospel is if you believe it, if you see it, and by the way, we're getting ready to respond to it here at the Lord's table, it will humble you. You can't stay angry at somebody unless you feel superior, uh, superior to them. The mercy of God will humble you out of your bitterness. But it also will affirm you out of your bitterness because it says you don't have to justify yourself anymore. You can now say I've been justified in Christ. I don't have to justify myself. I don't have to justify myself to you. I don't have to worry about my reputation. When you start to get that into your heart, you can face evil. And you can actually forgive. I know there are some of you out here who are like, man, I, Brad, I'm just a truth teller. But when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was being executed unjustly. He actually says to his father, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. I can't get around that verse. You see the balance of what Jesus is saying there. First, he's saying, Father, what they're doing is wrong. They need to be forgiven. They are guilty. And I'm dying for their guilt. But look at what happens next. His executioners, instead of yelling at them and screaming at them, saying, you'll get yours, he says to his father, they don't really understand the magnitude of what they're doing. Jesus has something good to say about his executioners. If he treats his executioners like that, how dare you and I be cold, withdrawing to people, sarcastic, insulting, burning people down? If Jesus wouldn't even talk like, uh, talk like that to his own executioners, who are we to do that? We need God to give us grace and patience that can grow only out of a great view of the dying, saving mercy that he provides. The Lord's Supper is a time for us to get a view of that mercy. We can get a view of, of mercy that has overcome evil with good once and for all. I know that maybe... Not every one of you in this room is struggling with this idea that we're talking about tonight, but a lot, of, a lot of you are. 
And at some point in all of our lives, we are all going to need this reminder. We need God's power in view of his, his mercy to help us overcome evil with good. May it be so among us. Let's pray together.